You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. those things who are bothersome, who will be swatted at or placed in spam folders. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. We need to follow follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. I guarantee if you're following the Holy Spirit's guidance and He sets up a divine appointment, you'll see results. You'll see fruit. But I also guarantee that if you're not following the Holy Spirit and you're not following His lead and you press and press and press and press, you'll see the hand. You'll be in the spam folder. We need to be careful. When you follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and reach those He is leading you to, you'll see results. However, as Pastor Dave shares in today's message, if you continue to press where you've not been led, you'll be rejected. You'll be considered a pest and run the risk of turning people away from Jesus altogether. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 24. As he begins his message, Paul faces his accusers. Acts 24, beginning in verse 1. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusations, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysus, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. In October of 2010, the Barna Group Research Clinic, now this is a firm that is widely considered to be the leading research organization, and they focus on the intersection of faith and culture. Well, they conducted a study regarding the public's opinion of the contributions of Christians to society. While it seems that many Americans believe that the Christian faith has made positive contributions to our society, unfortunately, A greater number, however, believe the opposite to be true. Sad. When asked to identify what this group thought the negative contributions of Christians to American society were, the most frequent response that was recorded was the violence or hatred incited in the name of Jesus Christ. They cited the bombings of abortion clinics and the killing of abortion doctors. They cited the demonstrations at military funerals and the bigotry against alternative lifestyles. 
In fact, one out of five Americans who responded mentioned these very acts. There were three other responses, and these generated similar levels of support. 25% of those responding said the opposition of Christians to gay marriage was the largest negative contribution. Also mentioned was the major neg- as, a, as a major negative contribution was the church being too involved in the political arena. A small number of respondents mentioned negative contributions such as the perceived intolerance or bigotry of the Christian body as a whole, the failure of Christians to be assertive enough, and the failure of believers to reflect genuine Christian values in their own lifestyles. Skeptics were especially hard on Christians with regard to intolerance and what they perceived to be a failure to reflect the values and lifestyles taught by Jesus Christ. In another such study by this group, similar results were found. Negative feelings towards Christianity in regards to political right-wing fundamentalism, the political power of the church, the rejection of alternative lifestyles, and women's choice in regards to abortions. Yet another study just listed the negative thoughts of young people between the ages of 25 and 35 years old and their general feelings towards Christianity in today's society. To them, Christian was outdated, narrow-minded, judgmental, homophobic, hypocritical, stubborn, and just plain old-fashioned. Nice commentary on the Christian community and the Christian church and our contributions to society. You know, when I read this research, it would appear that the world has a dim view of Christianity. But it's interesting to me that when I read today's scripture, it doesn't seem that much has changed. It doesn't seem that there has been this great, big, vast change of mind about Christianity. Oh, there may have been at one time, but it seems as though these negative thoughts towards Christianity and Christians themselves has pervaded now and become even more. It seems like Christianity and the world just don't mix. Hmm, sounds pretty scriptural. We see that evidence of this to today's text. As the Jews now come from Jerusalem and they bring their accusations against Paul before the governor. Now as we begin this section in the book of Acts, we're going to look at these next chapters, chapter 24 and 26. And we find Paul now is going to testify before the rulers of the Roman Empire regarding his faith in Christ. He's going to stand and give testimony before two governors, Felix and Festus. He's going to give testimony before King Agrippa. And finally, he's going to be sent to Rome where he's going to give testimony in front of Caesar himself. See, for Paul, this is truly a matter of life and death. Because for Paul, physical life is at stake here. His physical life is at stake and held in the balance. But more importantly, more importantly than Paul's physical life, is the spiritual life, the internal life of anyone who hears the words that Paul will speak in his defense. It's the most crucial time in the apostles' ministry. There has never been a more crucial time than these two chapters which we're about to look at. At the end of our study last week, Paul finally arrived in Caesarea, and he is presented to the governor along with a letter from Claudius Lysus, the commander. He was the Roman commander that rescued Paul when the Jews tried to tear him apart. 
Felix told Paul that he would hear the case when his accusers came. Look at verses 20, in chapter 23, verses 34b through 35. And when he, Felix, understood that he, Paul, was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. But before Paul gets a chance to speak, accusations are made by the Jews because in a trial, prosecution always goes first. Prosecution always has first say. But as we look at today's scriptures, for me, when I study them, I can see the same mindset that we looked at from the Barna Group research. I can see the same mindsets, the same dim view of Christianity that was expressed in what we looked at this morning in the research Exhibited by the accusers before Felix. They come in the form of accusations. And as we look at verse 1, we see the accusations, or we see Paul's accusers arriving from Jerusalem five days later. They they are accompanied by a talent Roman lawyer. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders, and a certain orator orator named Tertullus, these gave evidence to the governor. You know, for the high priest to travel this far shows how much they really wanted Paul dead because it's anticipated that the high priest was approximately 80 years old. And this was a long, arduous journey, almost 70-some-odd miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And for him to make that journey, well, it really was speaking something. But the name Tertullus was Roman, and it wasn't uncommon for Jews and Greeks to take Romans' names. So we don't know if Tertullus was a Roman. We don't know if he was a Jew either, because even though he spoke with a Jewish perspective, it's customary for a prosecutor to take the side of those whom they are speaking of. But history does tell us one thing about Tertullus. He was the best that money could buy. He was a great orator. He was a great lawyer. That we know. So Tertullus' presentation begins in typical worldly fashion with some good old flattery. I mean, let's butter the judge up and see what we can get away with. In other words, before you can win the case, you have to win over the judge, right? I mean, isn't that the way it works? Look at verses 2 through 4. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. This opening statement by Tertullus in itself to me is nauseating. It is completely untrue and it's flattery to the 10th degree. He declares that now there is peace in the region and this peace was brought on by you, most noble Felix. Well, peace indeed. According to the historian Josephus, even as Felix bought peace, he was robbing the people and trying to kill the high priest himself. There were uprisings, but Felix did quell these uprisings in a most violent fashion. In fact, one commentator by the name of Stott says this, quote, In reality, Felix had put down several insurrections with such barbarous brutality that he earned for himself the horror, not the thanks, of the Jewish population. So, This flattery seemed to make my stomach turn. And 
If you remember from last week, if there was such great peace in the land, Tertullus was claiming, then why did 470 soldiers have to guard Paul on the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea? I mean, in this great peaceful region that Felix had provided. So Tertullus begins his presentation with a flattering speech. Now I have to stop a minute because there's a lot of scripture in the Bible that tells us that we have to be aware of the danger of flattery. You've got to be aware of the danger in flattery. If you look at Romans 16, verse 18, it speaks to us about those who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Flattery is deceptive. You can't always, always tell what's behind a flattering statement. You can't always tell what's behind it. And sometimes it's very deceptive. Jude writes in 1 Jude 16, and he speaks about those whose mouth is great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You know, sometimes people flatter other people to gain an edge, to gain advantage. And this I see the world doing. We're flattered by someone. And that's exactly what Tertullus is doing. He's flattering the, the judge Felix in order to gain an edge, to gain an advantage. Psalm 78 verse 36 says we can even flatter God It says, nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue. When you give God insincere praise, it's flattery. God doesn't want it. God wants your praise and your worship to be heartfelt. He wants to come from a true and contrite heart. And that contrite heart is one that is indeed broken because of sin and one that is deeply affected because of the effects of sin and the grief that sin causes on our life. That's how God wants your worship to be. With truth and spirit, we're told. You must worship him in spirit and truth. So with all flattery aside, Tertullus moves on to the accusations, and let's look at them in verses 5 through 6a. It's our focus verse for the day. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple. So here are the charges against Paul. Paul is accused of being a sickness, a plague. He's accused of sedition, creator of dissension. He's accused of being a ringleader of a sect. And he's accused of satanic activity, profaning the temple. The temple. I love the way the different translations put together. I'm reading from the New King James, which calls... Paul a plague. In the King James Version, it calls him a pestilent fellow. In the NASB, it calls him a pest. I like that. You know, a pest can be a very annoying thing. We have some people in our fellowship who control pests, and they take care of pests, and we're very glad for them. But a pest can be a real pain. A pest can be a disturbance to all. They keep returning, and they cause trouble. You can never seem to get rid of them. Tertullus is calling Paul, he's a plague, he's a pest, he's a pestilence that we can't get rid of, like a sickness that spreads and inflicts everybody that we're close to. Everywhere Paul goes, there's trouble. And I read this, I'm sorry, but my weird mind immediately went to think of the New Jersey state bird, the mosquito. Talk about a pest. Talk about one that won't go away. And if you've been to a campground here in New Jersey, if you've been in the woods during this time of the year or during the summer, you know what I'm talking about. They constantly come and they feed off of you and they're pests and you swat at them, you try to get rid of them. 
but they also carry diseases. They also carry bad things for you. That's what he's saying about Paul. You know, many in the world view Christianity this way. They look at us as pests. We are annoyances to them, and we need to be driven away. They think that that we need to get out of here. I mean, we know that the gospel message is the difference between life and death, eternal life. We know that. We have it in our hearts. But most people don't get that. Most people don't get that. And when we insist upon pressing the message upon them, it really turns them off. To them, it's like spam. Not the food spam. Spam in your email. It's like spam. It's a message that you don't want. It's a message that you don't really care for, and it goes to that little spam folder. Well, when we press people about Jesus Christ, when we press them and talk to them about God as their Savior and the Lord who came to earth who has a man and died for their sins, sometimes they don't want to hear that, and they put that in their spam folder, and they turn you off. But we press, and we press, and then we become a pest to them. And sometimes just our present makes them angry. Just like, if I know there's a mosquito in the room, If I know, if I hear that buzzing one more time, I know there's a mosquito in the room, it bothers me. And I've got to roll up a paper and I've got to start the mosquito hunt. Because I know I'm going to get that sucker before he gets me. And if I don't, I wake up the next day with a welt. Oh, man, he got me. I know somewhere around there's a fat mosquito enjoying himself. But they think of us as pests. They think that we're like mosquitoes. All we want to do is get a drop of blood and put a notch on our belt. They think that we're pests, and they don't understand the true meaning of the gospel. They don't understand the true meaning of life everlasting. They don't understand the true meaning of a changed life through Jesus Christ. And when you try to tell them about it, they shut you off. Spam folder, gone. And they want to delete you as fast as possible. We have a message that saves lives. We have a message that changes lives. We have a message sent from God. We need to be ever aware that our message is the true message because we serve the one true living God and he wants all to hear this message. But we're not to be pests. We're not to be those things who are bothersome, who will be swatted at or placed in spam folders. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. We need to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. I guarantee if you're following the Holy Spirit's guidance and he sets up a divine appointment, You'll see results. You'll see fruit. But I also guarantee that if you're not following the Holy Spirit and you're not following his lead and you press and press and press and press, you'll see the hand. You'll be in the spam folder. We need to be careful. Tertullus is calling Paul plague. He's a pest. He's a New Jersey state bird. Get him out of here. He's a pest. Tertullus then turns to Paul and he accuses him of leading sedition. Sedition is a conduct or language which incites riot against authority. It incites rebellion. It's like speech or behavior that's directed against the peace of the state, and it tends to undermine the authority of the state. This probably could be the worst damage and the worst accusation against Paul, sedition, because this could get him killed by the Romans. The Romans took a dim view of anybody rebelling against their empire. They took a real, real bad view of anyone who was looking to overthrow them or looking to take charge. The world thinks that we're too involved in politics. The world thinks that we should just go away and stop being pesty. The world thinks that we want to overthrow our government. 
We don't want to overthrow our government. Right is right and wrong ain't. It's as simple as that. We want what is right. The opposite should be true. The Bible tells us that we're to pray for our leaders. We're to lift them up and pray for them and seek that they would seek God's counsel and that they would be led by the Spirit, that they would, they would, they would seek Christ. We're to pray for our leaders, good or bad. Why? Because they're appointed by God. They're appointed by God. And it's okay for us to stand up for what we believe in. It's okay for us to hold to the values that the Bible teaches. It's okay for us to stand up and say, abortion is wrong. Gay marriage is wrong. Why? Because the Bible says so. It's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. And I'm just supporting what I read from God and what he shows me. I agree with this. We're not pests. We're not trying to overthrow the government. We want a good government, a government that's just and fair, but we also want the government that was created back in 1776, one that was created under God. That's what we want. I don't think it's wrong for us to stand up and be counted. But they're accusing Paul of sedition. Then Tertullus accuses Paul of being a ringleader of a sect, this this group, this, this, this group that's kind of out there, a sect of Nazarenes. It's interesting that John Corson says it this way. The enemies of the church called believers Christians or Nazarenes. Christians, or little Christ, was meant to mock the Lord. And the Nazarene called attention to the fact that he was from some hick town called Nazareth. You remember Nathaniel sitting under the tree? John 1, 46. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, that was the thought. That was the thought. Next time you think about the villas, maybe you'll think about it in a different way. Maybe you'll think about it in a different way. What's interesting here is that the word used for sect, S-E-C-T, in the Greek is actually the word used for heresy. It's the word used for heresy. So what Paul was being accused of was heresy, teaching against the law of Moses, teaching against the tradition of the fathers, teaching against what was going on in the Jewish religion, what was going on in the children of Israel for ages. Paul was coming against that when Paul was just saying no, because the law, I mean, because Christ was all the law and the prophets put together. The final accusation is that of being satanic by profaning the temple. And when you profane something, you desecrate it. When you desecrate a religious ob- object or a religious place, you violate the sanctity of it and you treat it disrespectfully. First summer I was here, when we were over in Washington Boulevard, we got struck by the condiment bandits. The condiment bandits. And what they did was they took great big jars of mustard. And they went all over that beautiful white church and they put pentagrams on it. And they did all kinds, they said six, six, six. And they did all kinds of stuff all throughout the entire, all outside of the church. And we found these empty squeeze bottles of mustard and stuff like that. That's why I call them the condiment bandits. They were desecrating a holy place. It was holy to us. It's just a building, but it was holy to us and they desecrated it. That's what desecration means. You, you violate the sanctity of it. You treat it with disrespect. The stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. 
Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings and Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescued.